Hey there, you are listening to a podcast from the Christian Campus House at the University of Central Missouri. It's our mission to journey with students as they discover and build a deeper relationship with Jesus, and so we hope our recorded teachings, well, help you discover or build a deeper relationship with Jesus. So, enjoy. I love that video. It's also really funny to hear that with soft instrumental music. <laughs> I love that where it's like, these are the motherboard? No, this is food. These are beans. Um, last, last week we, so we've been walking through the book of Hebrews. Uh, and last week we covered a little section there in Hebrews chapter 4 that talks about the word of God and how it's alive and active, it's sharper than any double-edged sword, it pierces between joints and marrow, divides even the, like, the division of soul and spirit, it, it exposes everything. And so he really talked about how God's word, whether he's speaking to someone or he's speaking through his word, God's word exposes us, but it doesn't expose us to hurt us, it exposes us to heal us. Uh, and so last week we talked about kind of that idea that God's word exposes us to heal us and I think in a lot of ways, God's word can be like uh, the computer technician guy in that video where it, it like opens us up and it's like, hey, you said something wasn't working right in your life. That's because it, it, you're full of beans. Like this, you just got a bunch of junk in here that's not supposed to be there. And so I think sometimes that's how God's word works, where it sort of cuts deep, it opens up and exposes what's really on the inside. Uh, of each one of us, and it allows us to see like, okay, something isn't the way it's supposed to be here. Something's a little broken, something's a little messed up inside of uh, each one of us. And so I don't think our, that I, well, I was about to say, I don't think our challenge or our struggle is recognizing that there is something broken in us. That might be the struggle. I think maybe some of us in this room, uh, that's kind of the first step toward our lives being transformed completely is actually just recognizing, okay, there is something a little off here. There is something that isn't the way it's meant to be. I, God's word opened me up and exposed a bunch of beans inside that weren't supposed to be there. That might be the problem. But I think for most of us, the issue is not knowing that, or like not knowing that there's something wrong. Most of us recognize there's something not right about my life. There's something inside me that doesn't function the way it's supposed to. I think what we wrestle with a lot of times is what do we do when we discover that? Like, what do we do when God's word exposes us and opens us up and kind of reveals that there's something messed up, something that's not the way it's supposed to be inside of us? What are we supposed to do in that situation? How do you move forward from there? And I think that's what the author of Hebrews really is driving at in the next couple verses of Hebrews chapter 4. So we're going to finish up Hebrews chapter 4 tonight where the, the author really has essentially just talked about how powerful God's word is, how it exposes us, but now he's gonna say, hey, and because God's word exposes what's broken inside of you, here's what you do. Here's what we do and how we respond when we recognize that there's something broken in us, when we recognize we have need. Here's your very next step. And so Hebrews chapter four is where we're hanging out tonight. Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 to 16. We'll have it uh, up on the screens, but I'd encourage you, if you have your Bible, open it up. I think it helps you kind of get a feel for the flow of the passage um, and even just some of what we're walking through tonight. So it's Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. And here's what the author says. 
Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we were, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Uh, and so I really just want to walk back through this passage and maybe a over, uh, not overly simplistic, but a very not impressive or flashy kind of way. I just want to walk back through these three verses and highlight a couple different words that I think uh, shed light on this passage and really help us to I don't know, get a little bit of an idea of just like how rich this text is. And I think the more we start to recognize the beauty of this passage, we pretty quickly begin to see what the author says we should do next when we've found ourselves in a position where we recognize our brokenness because we've read God's word or we've heard God's word preached. God has spoken in some way. We recognize something is not right in our lives or inside of us. The very next thing we should do, the author I think makes very clear in this passage, even as we just kind of walk back through and highlight a couple of these words. So uh, that's what we're gonna do. Just four different words, super simple, super straightforward. But the first word is the word ascended. Uh, so ascended, it says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven. Um, and so another way that that word can be translated is like to pass through uh, or to journey through a place. Like a lot of times it has like a very um, like uh, earthy sense to it where it's like you're actually traveling somewhere, going from one location to another location. And we've talked about how with the book of Hebrews, uh, the author a lot of times is talking about these concepts or features from the old covenant or the old way that God's people used to relate to God and how they interacted with him. And the author continuously holds up these little pieces of the old covenant and says, hey, this was just a glimpse of something greater. So we talked about that a couple weeks ago about how the promised land was just a glimpse of heaven or Joshua was just a little glimpse of Jesus. And so that's what the author of Hebrews will do all throughout this book. And I think he's doing that again in this verse uh, where he says that Jesus, our great high priest, has ascended into heaven. I think it's interesting because in the Old Covenant, uh, the way that the priest system kind of worked was that there was one person who could represent all of God's people, the high priest. He would, so one person could represent God's people in one specific location. So it had to be in the temple in Jerusalem and not just in the temple, but there were like varying kind of layers to the temple in the innermost part of the temple was called the most holy place. So one person could represent God's people in one singular room in one singular city, and they could only enter that room one time every year on a special day called the day of atonement. So one day a year, one person could enter one room in one city. And it, so it's like this very specific thing and that high priest would offer a sacrifice on that one day every year for God's people to kind of cover their sins. And that's how people's sins would be forgiven under the old covenant. And so it's a really sort of specific, but like limited type of forgiveness. Like there's this limited access to God, limited access to forgiveness and grace in the old covenant. But the author of Hebrews says, hey, we've got a, a greater high priest now. 
Jesus is our high priest. And then that word ascended is really interesting there because there were curtains in the temple that would separate uh, the varying rooms of the temple so that that most holy place where God's presence dwelled in some capacity, it was separated from the rest of the temple by a curtain that that high priest could only, only that high priest could walk through and he could only do it once per year. And so to enter into God's presence in the most holy place was really sacred, didn't happen very often. But then this word, the author of Hebrews is using a word that means Jesus passed through. He passed through the heavens is what some of your translations might say, which is really interesting because it is kind of like the author of Hebrews is showing us that the temple and even the most holy place was just a glimpse of heaven, that Jesus is an even greater high priest who represents us in a better way than any person in the old covenant ever could. And then he passed through into heaven the same way that a priest would pass through into the most holy place. Jesus has passed through into a more holy place where it's like he's in God's very presence. Like it's not just God's presence limited to some room. Like Jesus has gone to where God dwells the most obviously and clearly and undiluted. Like Jesus is in God's presence. He went where no one else could go. He ascended into the heavens. And I think that's really helpful for us to see there that all of that is just a little glimpse of something greater, like everything in the old covenant, just a glimpse of what Jesus has done for us. And so Jesus is in God's presence and he's representing us before God. So I think that's the first word ascended is helpful for us to understand there. The next word I think is helpful for us is the word empathize. Uh, so that, that verse, it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. And the Greek word, this, we're going to get a little bit nerdy with some of these words just because I think it actually does help us understand um, some of the nuance to what the author is saying. <coughs> the Greek word that we translate as empathize in this version anyway is literally just the word sympathy. Like it's where we get our word sympathy. It's the Greek word sympatheo. So it's two different Greek words that are joined together. And I think we translate it as empathy here because in English we kind of have this idea of like sympathy and empathy and we kind of draw distinctions between the two. And in English, empathy might actually be the better translation because what that word means with those two different little Greek words coming together, it's the Greek word sim or sin a lot of times. So like S-Y-N, which means with. And then it's the word patheo or like pathos, which is like feeling or experience. And so that word for empathize is to like feel with someone or to experience alongside of someone. And I think that's really helpful because it says that Jesus isn't someone who can't do that. Jesus is someone who does that for us, that he feels with us, that he experiences alongside of us. It's not just that Jesus understands our pain or our challenges or our weakness. When we experience pain, when we experience difficulty or weakness, Jesus experiences it with us. He allows himself to feel with us in those moments. And so I just think as, like, as we think about that word, it's helpful for us to think about what has Jesus allowed himself to feel with us, like individually or personally? What has Jesus allowed himself to experience alongside of you? And just thinking through like, maybe some things that might be represented in this room. Maybe you felt isolated or misunderstood at different points in your life, and it feels like no matter how 
much time you spend around a group of people. No one really knows you. No one really cares for you. Like they talk to you, they know your name, but it never goes deeper than that. And so you just feel misunderstood and maybe a little isolated. <clears throat> or maybe you lost someone you cared a lot about and you're just sad. But more than that, you're, you feel guilty. And sometimes you feel guilty because you think you're grieving too much. And sometimes you feel guilty because you're grieving too little. And so you just have this weird mixture of emotions. Maybe you're trying to do the right thing and you just feel exhausted by it because the, the pressure to give in to temptation seems a lot more, uh, a lot stronger than the reward for resisting temptation. And so you're just kind of tired and drained from trying to pursue holiness. It's hard. Uh, maybe uh, someone else made a thoughtless decision that negatively impacted you and so it made you feel devalued. Uh, it was like they didn't really consider how that decision would impact anyone else and specifically you. It, they didn't consider your feelings or the ripple effect of their, their actions. Uh, maybe someone made a really selfish decision that you've kept secret for a long time. And because you're, you're burdened by the thought that you could have said no a little louder or that you could have told someone before it got to that point or that you should have known better in the first place, and now, all these years later, it's not the selfish decision maker who's suffering and sorting through all the complexity of abuse. Instead, it's, it's you sorting through that. And so, whatever it is that we've experienced, whatever it is that we've felt before, Jesus is the type of representative who allows himself to feel that with us. Like, he allows himself to experience it along side of us. So Jesus knows what it's like to be misunderstood. He knows what it's like to grieve. He knows what, like how exhausting it is to pursue holiness. He knows what it's like to be devalued by others. He knows what it's like to be abused. But he doesn't just look at that, and he doesn't just look at us from afar and say, yeah, well, I can relate. Like, I know, I know what that's like. He doesn't just look at us from afar and kind of say, yeah, I get it. He feels it with us. Like, he has allowed himself to feel what we feel and experience what we experience. And I think that's what the author of, of Hebrews is, is driving at here, that that's the kind of person we have representing us before God as we recognize our brokenness and our neediness. We have someone who stands between us and God and is like, hey, I see the stuff that's not right there in that person's life. Like, I see it. It's not hidden from me. I opened up the computer and all the beans poured out. Like, I, I see it, but I also know. I also understand. I also feel what they're feeling and I have experienced it alongside of them and that's who's representing us and that's how he's representing us. So that's that word, empathize. And so the next word I think that is helpful for us to understand here is approach. Um, so the text there says, let us then approach God's throne of grace. Um, that can also be translated as draw near, but it's literally the idea of <clears throat> moving toward someone. Um, and so the author of Hebrews is essentially saying that in our sin, when we recognize our neediness, when we recognize our brokenness, we should move toward God, which is interesting because I feel like that's the exact opposite of what we normally do. Would you guys agree with that? Like when we start to recognize like, oh, stuff's not right in here. I think a lot of times I'm inclined to like hide it or try and like adjust it so that it doesn't seem quite as bad. Like I try to avoid God a lot of times 
when I'm recognizing or deeply aware of my brokenness. I think a lot of, honestly, when I, when I begin to grasp even for a second, like how sinful I am, or I feel like God's word has exposed me or a situation causes me to realize that, oh, stuff is not right or stuff is not the way it's meant to be inside of me right now. Oftentimes what I do is I kind of turn to God, but I, do it in a way where it's like I feel like I'm I, I feel like I'm a kid who's asking his parents for money to go on like a class trip and it, my parents are really poor or something and so I feel like I'm going to God and I'm like hey I recognize I need grace I recognize I need forgiveness but I feel like every time I'm asking him for forgiveness or grace I'm depleting the amount of grace in his bank account kind of thing where and so it's so then I'm, I'm like well I'll I'll take the grace this time thank you so much for this God I will do my very best not to screw up again or be sinful again because I don't want to have to keep making withdrawals in the future. Like I'm going to try and not diminish your bank account of grace too much. And I think I kind of have that, that mindset that I'm so hesitant to ask for grace or forgiveness from God because I feel like I'm burdening him or taking away from him. But I think when we really look at scripture and what God has revealed about himself, that is not the picture of God's grace that we see or his character. I don't think God is a bank account of grace that is diminished. I think in a lot of ways, like coming to him for grace and asking him for forgiveness makes him happy. Like, I don't think he's like, again, for real. I think he's happy when we turn toward him and ask for forgiveness and grace because that's that's his kids like recognizing exactly where they should go when they have need like that's exactly what Jesus was sent in the world for i think about how big of a waste the death of Jesus would be if god didn't want to give out grace like if god was not going to pour out his grace on us just abundantly the death of Jesus would have been a waste of time it wouldn't have been worth it and so there's this a really good book uh, called Gentle and Lowly that's all about this kind of idea and it sort of challenges that notion that I have and I'm guessing some of you guys have too that it's like you're reluctant to go to God for grace because you think he probably wants to push you away or maybe doesn't want to bring you in but this book I think challenges that in a lot of ways um, and there's a quote I think this is really helpful. He's talking about God's heart here, and he says, out of his heart, God's heart, flows mercy. Out of our hearts flows reluctance to receive it. We are the cool and calculating ones, not him. He's open-armed, but we, we stiff-arm. And so if I hesitate to approach God, it's not because he's keeping me at an arm's length. It's because I'm kind of keeping his grace at an arm's length. So if there's some sort of disconnect between me and God or you and God, and it feels like oh, I just can't like access grace or forgiveness right now, it's not because God is pushing us away. It's because we're not willing to accept maybe how good grace is because it seems like I don't deserve it. And that's true because that's like literally what grace is. It's a gift that we don't deserve. And so like teaching ourselves over and over again that what we believe about God most naturally a lot of times is not always accurate. And so I think in a lot of ways, the, this passage challenges what we think about God. Um, that book also says the things about us that, that make you cringe the most make him hug the hardest. The things about you 
that make you cringe the hardest are, or cringe the most are, are what make him hug the hardest. And so I think this text just reminds us that God's heart and his, his desire for us and our sinfulness is much different than what we might expect. So when we recognize our brokenness, when we feel exposed by God, we should move toward him, not away from him. We shouldn't cover it up. We should move toward him, approach him. That's what he wants more than anything. So it's that word approach. And then this last word, uh, confidence. So it says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So the word that the author is using there is to say that we translate as confidence. Again, two different Greek words. And one of them is a short little word that just means like all or like every. And then the other part of it means pouring forth. And it's, so if you put them together, it's the idea of like pouring everything out, like letting it all out. It's the idea, I think, when you kind of put it in the context of that verse, the author is saying, hey, when we come to God, when we approach him for grace, when we move toward him looking for forgiveness, don't hold anything back. Don't try to fix yourself up. Don't try to like adjust your words to make yourself seem more presentable. Don't try to beautify yourself or your prayers in any way. Come to God. Don't reserve anything. It, and you could also translate it as like speak freely. And so I think that is so relieving in a lot of ways where it's like, if we're going to come to God for grace, if we're going to move toward God for mercy, don't hold anything back. Don't, don't try to fix yourself up. Speak freely. Just pour everything out. Like, no matter how ugly, no matter how messy, no matter how angry it is, pour it out because God's big enough to receive it and he's gracious enough to be okay with whatever comes out because he's already aware that it's in there. And so we approach God with, with confidence, with this idea of, hey, I can be completely honest with God. I don't have to make myself look better. And so when we recognize that there's something broken in us. When something's not the way it should be, we should move toward God without trying to make ourselves look better. And I think that's the simple idea in this text, that we should move toward God without trying to make ourselves look better. We are so glad that you decided to listen to this teaching from the Christian Campus House. Join us live at one of our weekly gatherings on Wednesday nights, 7.30 p.m. during the school year. And if you have questions or you want to talk about what it looks like to take the next step in your faith journey, feel free to email us at cch.digdeeper at gmail.com. That's cch.digdeeper at gmail.com. And we hope to see you sometime soon. Thank you.